Avalanche is set at a ski resort. And, well, there's an avalanche. This lower-budget effort came at the tail end of the 1970s disaster boom, and it was on an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000. But it's got Robert Forster in it, so it can't be all bad. Welcome, everyone, to the Collector's Cut. I am Peter, and joining me, as always, is David. Can I give you a big hug? No. This is a movie podcast, and we are working through 70s disaster movies. This is the penultimate episode of the season, and today we are looking at Avalanche. And I understand David's got the perfect weather to to discuss this in. Yeah, no. uh, For anybody who lives on the East Coast, this is being recorded at the beginning of January-ish. So Winter Storm just hit, and it sucks. (laughs) <laughs> so yes, welcome everyone. Uh, we will start spoiler-free, of course, as we always do, and we'll uh, get into the spoilers in a bit. We'll start off by giving our general thoughts, feelings, all that kind of thing. Before we get started, though, I'll just remind everyone that if you do enjoy the discussion, please do hit the like button, it helps us out a bunch. And of course, you can get bonus content and bonus shows that me and David do every month over at Patreon, patreon.com slash TV. I'll tell you more about what those shows are at the end. But uh, thank you for enjoying the show, and uh, let's get into it. Avalanche is a movie from 1978 from New World Pictures. And New World Pictures are kind of your your B-movie factory. They they do a lot of direct-to-video stuff and that kind of thing. I'm glad you said that, because I had not heard of them, and that's the kind of vibe I was getting there. This felt like a B-movie sort of thing going on. Yeah, I, I've seen New World Pictures uh, a number of times in my in my travels. Uh, but there are some real actors in this. Uh, Rock mm-hmm. Hudson, who I don't know that well, but obviously he's a name from the past. Uh, but yep. we also have Mio Farrow and Robert Forster is in this. Yep. So we got some real real people in this, sort of slumming it and doing like a little movie in between the real all those movies. fake people who we don't care about at all. <laughs> you Look know at you, Steve Franken. You know what I mean? The people that we're only recognize and because right. yeah, they are recognizable. They're people who you might know from other movies. But uh, mm-hmm. the premise of this one's quite simple. It is a ski resort at the bottom or somewhere up a mountain, and uh, there's a lot of signs that say maybe it's not safe to have a ski resort on this mountain. Those are ignored, and eventually there's an avalanche. That's your premise. Uh, That's the movie. That's the <laughs> you just did the whole spoilers, everybody. That's it. <laughs> so we'll get to we'll get to all the details in a bit, but uh, we can start off by simply asking the question that I always start with, David. What did you yeah. think of insert movie here? <clears throat> I mean, Avalanche. Uh, yeah, it's it's. There was a point at the beginning where I thought, okay, this seems like it's pretty competently shot, and, like, we focus on Mia Farrow to begin with. And then, all of a sudden, about, like, 90 seconds in, I gave up hope. Because the editing, the line delivery, everything in this is exactly as you said. It's a B-movie. Like, this had the vibe to me where they were contractually obligated to put it into theaters, but in reality, they wanted this to go on to, like, hbo and just show on tv like it's it feels like something that was filmed for syndication almost immediately sure. uh special uh, effects well uh, i'll, I'll oh, just i don't think hbo existed in 1978 no but i think i agree with what you're saying and that well it was going to theaters i think there, there's a moment in this movie and somewhere in the middle where someone's looking through binoculars 
Mm-hmm. And I couldn't help but notice that the binocular, because they had like a sort of the black cut out around the edges to sort of represent someone looking through binoculars. And right. I couldn't help but notice that the binocular view was like really in the middle and there was a lot of empty space at the side. Yep. And I just, I instantly got the feeling that, okay, they know that most of their business is going to be on VHS where this is going to be pan and scanned. And that's why this has been shot completely safe for that ratio. Yep, exactly. And I mean, that's the vibe I got throughout this whole movie. Uh, the editing just from shot to shot is honestly, it's so incompetent at times that it almost feels like <laughs> intentional, like they're parodying it somehow, but it just never delivers on that. And then special effects. I I can't help but shake the feeling that they filmed all this stuff practically as much as they could and they said like okay that's fine for like the big stuff we'll go ahead and do in special effects we can do that and then they got into the editing booth and they realized oh wait we can't do that we are woefully ill-equipped to do the things we want to do oh well do our best so yeah overall great movie loved it <laughs> i like it's not good right i'll just mm-hmm. I'll, I'll start off by saying that it's obviously not a good movie i will say there are moments of of joy that I had, not because they were doing something well, but because, and sadly, it wasn't because of really any of the actual avalanche stuff. But there mm. was like some over the top character things in the first half that were making me laugh. Um, some of the weird, like I'll just say, this movie has some of the most weirdly toxic relationships I've seen in a movie in quite yeah. some time, and it's more than one. It's not just like one example there's two main examples in this movie mm-hmm. of of relationships where and they're, they're different kinds as well like one's kind of this husband that's trying to be controlling and then the other one's a, a boyfriend slash husband who is sleeping around and when confronted with this some some of the, the results of that really made me laugh we'll get into that in spoilers yeah. but I, I know exactly what you're talking about but that's where i felt like it was getting so campy and like parody wise is that they were so over the top that i was like am i supposed to be taking this seriously it's funny because obviously they shot a lot of stuff in real snow and so the snow mm-hmm. looks good right and mm-hmm. then some avalanche stuff happens <laughs> and there's like these big polystyrene which is meant to be clumps of snow but they're yeah they're, they're rocking about as if they're a solid object and i'm like that's not how snow functions snow doesn't look like that i mean if it's hard enough yes but like clearly this is just someone repainted the boulders from a landslide movie <laughs> and like that's all this is yes uh so so that really st- stuck out to me so it's not really got the spectacle um the shots they have of actual avalanche stuff, I'm assuming the stock footage, I would be... Did you did you not, like, pay attention to that? Because for me, every time they cut to it, the film grain was so degraded and scratchy that it was sure, super yeah. obvious that it was, like, a run through the ringer and they just picked it up from, like, a dumpster or something. You're probably right. I mean, I... So I watched this on YouTube because mm-hmm. it was it was on Plex, but Plex has ads, so I thought, oh, it's on YouTube, technically in HD... Uh, I say technically because the bit rate's so shit that mm-hmm. it might as well not be, to be honest. But uh, it was better because there was an SD version on YouTube as well, which obviously I wanted to avoid. But you can easily watch this, is what I'm saying. If you want oh, to yeah, go and watch absolutely. this, you can go find it for free. Um, I, Yeah, I, it's got a weird structure. It's got a weird pacing. I think one of the big things is that it felt like a real disaster movie for the first half because it felt like it was setting up a, a good, decent amount of characters, each with their mm-hmm. own relationships, which I thought, oh, this is going to pay off after the disaster because they're all going to be trying to save each other or 
so on and so forth. But once the avalanche hits, which is just before the hour mark, it's like it's 57 minutes in to this 93 minute this, movie. It's an hour and a half long. There's not a lot of avalanche time. Once the avalanche happens, which is about 10 minutes of just chaos and like stuff happening, then it's like the rescue stuff. I felt mm-hmm. like the rescue stuff was basically just a series of each thing we introduced happened, we're going to resolve each one one by one in a list, and then we'll introduce one new little Jeopardy right at the very end, and that's it. That's the whole movie. I agree, except that I don't think that they even, like, resolve that many. I can think of two. They had okay, exactly, like, enough. two things that they resolved, and they were like, and now here's the big action cliffhanger for the end of the movie, and we're done. Yes, and... Uh, actually, again... I'll, I'll save the details for spoilers, mm-hmm. but I will say there's a, a quick little montage of the emergency services coming to the ski resort once oh the disaster God, happens. Oh my great. And it may be the funniest, most random sequence I've ever seen in a movie because of yeah. just how, oh, I guess things are happening here. This was a lot... I was expecting a quick shot of just an ambulance and a fire engine driving to just to establish they're on their way. Instead, yeah. stuff started happening. I'm like, why is there stuff happening in this scene? <laughs> Imagine you're watching Tower in Inferno and, like, the sequence where all the fire engines are all coming towards the building and, like, the firefighters are like, hey... Oh no, we're going to that big tall building. That's scary. Oh damn, we're going to have a hell of a night. And then mm-hmm. imagine the driver of the fire engine just fell asleep at the wheel and caused a, tr- a big pile up where all the fire engines started crashing into each other. I, it's even worse than that because it's not even falling asleep at the wheel. It's introduced the same way of like, there's a dog in the middle of the road and then it's just <laughs> all of that stuff. There's now another building on fire because of their incompetence. It's insane. Uh, yeah, so it's it's very cheap. It does have real actors in it. Uh, mm. much of the first 40 odd minutes are just relationships, dramas, but at least they're kind of funny because they're so silly and over the top. Um, the, the weird jealousy angles and there is some nudity at least. So you got that going. It is PG, but it's a 1970s PG, which is essentially an R rating today when it comes <laughs> to sexuality. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, yeah. You got some, you got some, well, I'm not say it's raunchy, but I mean, it's nah. something to, something to, and it's cold. So it, it's the, it's it the co- best kind of boobs. Cold boobs are the best boobs. Okay. I would debate that, but <laughs> all Wait, right. I, 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 I'm making a silly joke because of nipples. Okay. Because no, no, I get that. But it, it implies a level of like necrophilia, which is much no, more. No, no, no. That's not what I was getting at. I get Just, that. Little chili. I'm talking about a right. little chili. <laughs> okay. okay. I get it, dude. Well, still body heat, goddammit, all right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, yeah, it's, 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 the, the thing that gets me, though, is you're saying that all of these, like, relationship drama stuff at the beginning, but I do want to point out that as much as that drama stuff is there, it's so strangely paced and so, I, I don't want to say, like, the dialogue is bad, but it just feels unnatural um, the whole yeah, time. It's pretty unnatural. That, I, I think the bigger complaint with it, though, is that none of it actually matters after the avalanche happens. Right. That's, that's the biggest... Like, if I was going to say objectively the biggest thing that's wrong with this movie, and there's a mm-hmm. bunch of things that you can critique quite happily, I would say the biggest thing is that all of the relationship stuff they set up in the first hour doesn't really have anything resembling a payoff in the, the last half hour. It does not matter. I mean, I wasn't sure if that was technically a spoiler or not, but yeah, I fully, wholly agree to that. Um, my favorite thing, though, is that 
in the entire opening sequence to the movie, you get introduced to all of these people. There's apparently like some sort of winter sports going on at this ski resort, and like it's going to be like the big opening thing. Yeah, there's a ski mobile race at one point, and there's yeah. like some skiing, you know, figure skating, I should say, happening. So we get introduced to like this real estate guy who's setting it all up, this TV show host who's going to be hosting the events. We get introduced to these figure skaters and this speed skier, skier and all these different people. Meanwhile, once the avalanche happens, who cares about them? Now we're introduced to this kitchen staff and what they're up to for a while. It's like, what? the focus is so misplaced in this entire it's, movie that I have no idea what's going on when this shift happens. It's very scattershot. Also, we talk about these relationships in the first half of the movie. They're not evenly balanced either. It kind of focuses on Mia Farrow and her husband, mm. or ex-husband, I should say, and Robert Forster, and it feels like it's more focused on them for like 20 to 30 minutes, and then it shifts to the speed skater and his love life, and it kind of mm -hmm. focuses on that for like another like 15, 20 minutes, and it felt like we kind of moved away from the characters we were for. Well, because typically you'd bounce between them at an even pace, so they feel like yeah. they're equally part of the movie. Here it didn't really do that, it kind of just lumped them all in one batch and then give you the other one another batch, and then, you know, like... yeah. You know, and those characters they put in jeopardy during the the, the actual avalanche that they, they didn't really introduce. There's a, there's a whole thing with a kid, and I'm like, it'd have been nice to have oh, been introduced yeah. to this kid in the first hour of the movie, but you didn't bother with that. So I, okay, this is not this movie's fault, but I did watch it on YouTube, and it's like the official YouTube version. It's the one that mm. YouTube has uploaded under like their movies and TV section. You just have to watch it with ads if you don't have premium. But the the bit that got me is that being the official version, the characters are saying things. They are, you hear them talking, but I had on the subtitles just in case, just in case I missed something. So often the subtitles don't know what the characters are saying. So they just put in parentheses mumbles. <laughs> and it gets really good because there's the part where we introduce the kid and his parents. And it's just like, oh, and now uh, heading up the mountain is Mr. and Mrs. like Courtney or something. But the subtitles didn't know. So like now heading up the mountain mumbles. And I'm like, <laughs> they're saying the name movie. Give it some effort. That sounds auto generated to me. Probably, but the fact that they had the idea to put in mumbles, it sounds like anything that kind of was gibberish. Someone went in and Manuel was like, I'm not going to bother to fix it. Parentheses mumbles. Uh, yeah. Um, I will say, to compare it to the previous movies we've done this season, I do think there's at least some bad movie enjoyment to be had here versus right. something like Cyclone. Um, what did we do after Cyclone? Uh, no, nah, Roller Coaster was probably better than this. Roller Coaster was a better movie. Yeah, I think. there was the the bad ones were Swarm and then Cyclone. I would yeah. say those were the bottom barrel ones. Yeah, comparing to Swarm's tougher because I feel like they both have some bad movie qualities to enjoy, but they're, they're very different. So I don't know which one I would say I, is. I think the biggest difference is that Swarm still had the disaster movie aspect of it was like two and a half hours long. It was a long movie, and they went ahead and they did the thing where you set up all these relationships. Sure. And then they pay off in the second half as the disaster's going on. This movie, it just decided that second half is unnecessary. It didn't want to do that. So we just end the movie. But you do get through it in 90 minutes. Is that not a positive? No, that is a positive. At least in this situation. <laughs> I, I I do see that as a positive. Because I would have liked this form to be over in 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. 
it, it, yeah i like i mean I, I guess that's i guess that's kind of the thing is if you look back on the swarm it was a problem of it took too long and didn't do enough this one because the avalanche doesn't hit until an hour in it's barely a disaster movie like we get as you said a couple scenes of rescue services coming in and saving some people but then on all in all by the time you hit the end it's just suddenly done with we just skip ahead some indeterminate amount of time and it's like all right that's it we're done now yeah they didn't really put a lot of thought into like this sort of a drawn out kind of like rescue mission some people are trapped somewhere and we have to get to them and that's going to be a big mm -hmm. part of the problem solving we kind of just rush through all that stuff there was a point where mia farrow ended up in uh robert forster's cabin up on the mountainside and it looks like she's completely snowed in it looks like she's totally stuck in there and I thought, oh, okay, that's going to be a thing because we have a love triangle of someone who works on the mountain and someone who theoretically caused this avalanche. They're all going to be trying to get to this woman they love. No, no, she's just out. She just leaves. There was no problem there. It's yeah. just poor structuring the whole way through. Yeah, poor, poor mismanagement of actually creating stakes and jeopardy and like having the characters having to come up with solutions you know watch mm -hmm. them have to figure out problems the sort of stuff that's fun in a survival disaster movie is the is the the you know it's the problem solution how do we get to solution is the solution yeah. going to be tough is the solution risky because maybe that puts other characters in jeopardy creating stakes these are the kind of things you're looking for in a disaster movie mm -hmm. and this by and large kind of just neatly avoids all of it <laughs> <laughs> It's almost Look, depressive. We, we could think through the cause and effect here, or we could paint more white boulders and throw them at people. Huh? <laughs> huh? Oh, dear. All right. Also, this has, I, I won't say who it is, but this has two of the funniest deaths I've seen in a long time. I think I know what one of them might be, because the one immediately popped out of my head as soon as you said yeah. that. This uh, this the second one we'll get to. At least it was funny for me. I don't know why. Yeah. It was maybe it was that point in the movie. I was just like, yeah, good, die. I'm happy to see it. <laughs> All right. So I I will just get spoilers. I don't know how much more we can dance around anything in this. Yeah. Not that okay. anyone should really care about having this one spoiled, admittedly, but it's uh, yeah. So New World pictures. You open, you get some shots of a mountain, you know, covered in snow. Credits play. Mm -hmm. Yada yada yada. And we're interested in Mia Farrow's character, Caroline, who arrives at the ski resort. It turns out that she is the ex-wife of the guy who built and owned this, owns this place, right? That's Rock mm -hmm. Hudson's character, David, or, or Shelby, David Shelby, right? Yes. So he is invited her here. He's happy she's here, and he wants to rekindle this romance. And there's maybe some implication that, you know, his, like, dream of building this place and doing all this is maybe partly why the marriage kind of fell apart is that he was so focused on his work and his ambition that yeah. she kind of got left behind uh but they seem to be on reasonable terms here we get we get the mother-in-law as well where she's just immediately inserting herself here she's like yeah. oh hey you're here are you gonna get back together with my son and she's like i don't know that's kind of personal and nothing to do with you and she's like nonsense i'm involved in everything so we get kind of a, a tour of the, the, the place. Uh, she goes up and meets her, her ex-husband. Um, he wants to be alone with her. And I get that this is probably partially in the performance, right? I'm sure Mia Farrow was intentionally doing this to sell that she's not ready to get back together with him and that she's a bit uncomfortable with him making advances and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But 
it made me kind of uncomfortable that every time he kind of grabbed her and kissed her, like, it was like a dad grabs a, a child who's in trouble. Like, he grabs the yeah. arm, and her arms kind of, like, hold out stiff, and she looks, like, terrified. And I don't think he's becoming across that threatening to me, but it, the way she's reacting to him, it, all, it almost implied, oh, was he really abusive or something? Because it, it kind of feels like she's terrified of this man. Yeah, I get the implications there, and he definitely has a very intense personality, but as we get in the later scene, she basically explains, like, no, it was more of a you were always wrapped up in your work sort of thing, and you were always controlling of, like, what I was doing as well. It yeah. never felt abusive, but it did feel like she wasn't allowed to be her own person. Yeah, like, I would say the body language tells me abusive but everything that actually comes out in the dialogue makes it feel more yeah like what you were saying uh mm. but that kind of that was kind of there and it was hard to kind of shake this weird feeling of like how they were reacting to each other um so that sets yeah. up their whole thing uh there's a running thing here where he keeps saying he'll take her to lunch but he keeps getting interrupted by phone calls or by press or eventually by robert forster who wants to talk about the mountain don't get me wrong. I understand this, that they're trying to sell that he's like a businessman and this is right before this big event and he has all this stuff on his plate. I get that. Yes. But just because of how frequently he immediately like pivots his attention, this dude has ADD. Like this dude 100% <laughs> has untreated ADD where he's just like, oh, this person said my name. You now have my undivided attention. Yeah. And they do actually they, they tease something uh, just before they go in, their, in his office. Uh, the secretary calls him by his first name and then mm. corrects herself and says, oh, Mr. Uh, Shelby. And I thought, okay, movie, are you actually going to pay that off? That maybe you're implying, uh, our, you know, a sexual relationship between him and his secretary. And mm -hmm. they do actually pay it off, which makes his whole trying to like, be back together with his wife thing the whole movie kind of weird. Yes, but no. I think that it actually... That part I actually think did good characterization because his entire character is he wants everything. He wants it mm. all and he doesn't take no for an answer. And I think him having like his ex-wife back and his mistress, that makes sense for the character. For That's me. what he wants. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, they don't do much with it. It's just that later on, the next morning after a lot bunch of other stuff's happened, it just cuts mm. to him getting out of his hot tub and his secretary's just there naked like handed yeah. him a drink so it's like oh, okay I, I guess yeah i guess you are having a having a thing how does she feel about him wanting to be back with his ex-wife i don't know they never really get into that so well when they introduce the wife here where, during that scene where the secretary says his first name she's like oh and you know this is my wife and she's like oh hey mm. how's it going <laughs> so here also introduces and it's hard to tell when they're introducing all these characters which ones are going to be more prominent so i'm focusing on the prominent ones because obviously i have hindsight <laughs> yeah uh but they introduce sort of this this skier this blonde long-haired guy who is you know he's a bit of a celebrity they're wanting to interview him and one of the main things they introduce as soon as he shows up is that women love him right he's a bit of a ladies man and he's there with his girlfriend tina and Tina's actually the ex-wife of another guy who's there. That is not important at all, but they do mention it at one point. Like, there's one scene where this other guy shows up and uh, Shelby's like, hey, by the way, your uh, ex is here and she's with the, the fancy ski skier man. Well, he's the um, he's the TV host. That's who he is, okay. Yep. All right. So it sets this up, and it sets up that there's these figure skaters here that run up and get a photo with them, and Tina, the, the current girlfriend, just looks like 
like she's like she's ready to bite someone in the face because she's like jealous yeah. and pissed off that these women are giving him attention and you see her briefly actually like a little bit later uh shelby when he's going off to talk to robert forster he passes her at the bar and she's like just drinking and he's like yeah take it easy tina will you and it's implied that she's in such a jealous rage that she's just pounding booze back and whatever so yeah you you definitely get the implication that he has a history of like cheating on her or at least flirting with other women well that's so. one, of, one of the lines that he has with the the ex-husband uh when mm-hmm. he's warning hey she's here with him uh they, they talk about how oh they've been together for a few months that's long for her it's also long for him they, they kind of mm-hmm. point out that they're they're both known for i don't know not sleeping around necessarily but like not having a long relationship yeah, non-monogamy yeah so set up them and then robert forster who's probably my favorite actor in the movie because i like him in a lot of other things Oh yeah, he was good. Yeah, he shows up and he... I actually thought he was like someone who works on the mountain. It turns out he's a photographer and he does like National Geographic stuff and he doesn't like this place because it's interfering with the wildlife and the the nature. Mm -hmm. And his concerns early on is that them taking down X number of trees to put in more facilities is actually destabilizing the mountain as far as avalanches go because it's, you know, it's removing some of the natural blocks and things like that. I don't know how accurate uh, this shit is. I just kind of take it at face value here. Yeah, it sounds like one of those things that the directors are like, this makes sense. Like, you can you can follow the logic here of they are chopping down trees that are in their way of the view from the resort up to the top of the mountain. So it makes sense that when snow starts coming down the mountain, it now has an open path to hit the lodge. Yeah. Whether that's scientifically accurate or not, I don't know. But it sounds like it makes sense. So he, he's concerned, he wants to talk to, to Shelby, which he, he goes and does, uh, you know, and that, that's the final thing that interrupts the lunch that makes it not happen, is that he's like, mm-hmm. hey, no, we're talking about this now. This is dangerous. So Well, we also we also get a sequence of uh, the speed skier named Bruce. He does a little side trail where he's not supposed to. He starts skiing down and causes a little mini avalanche. Well, yeah, this is one of the things about the movie, is that once they build up to the avalanche, so it does this, and then there's another little thing later, they basically are like, the, it's almost like, you know how in a movie where there's going to be a big earthquake and these these little tremors that are saying, hey, there's a big earthquake coming. But yeah. as far as I know, I don't think that this happens with avalanches where there's little things that are building up to one, right? It's, yeah, I mean, I, I vaguely remember something similar with like rock slides where you get like a few like tremors and boulders falling down mm. and then that's just kind of a signal that, oh, there's one on the way. But it's not something where it's like, it's going to happen within the next 24 hours. It's just to show that it's unstable, which to be fair, they say throughout the movie that this mountain is highly unstable because nobody is doing what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, which is fine, but I just it felt kind of artificial to me that they were trying to build up as if there was like a rising meter to an avalanche happening, when in reality, eventually it's a plane that causes it, and that's not something that yeah. happens naturally. That's just, you know... See, uh, for me, it didn't feel like it was a rising meter. I think it was one of those things where it just kept on wanting to fake out the audience. It mm-hmm. kept wanting to be like, oh, here we go. This is it. This is happening. Nah, we're just messing with you. This is maybe a pre- next time. This is a pretty funny scene, though, because the blonde skier is doing his own little private skiing practice over on the other side of the mountain. And this mm-hmm. little mini avalanche happens, and he's sort of like skiing away from it. And he eventually jumps onto a tree. <laughs> <laughs> and holds onto the tree while this little mini avalanche just finishes off and i thought oh that's funny and obviously this is a little tease for later because later on he's going to be skiing away from the real avalanche mm-hmm. and obviously like i get it you're doing a movie about an avalanche and there's a ski resort involved 
you have to do a scene where a skier is literally oh, trying yeah. to ski away from it. That's just too funny an idea not to do. <laughs> I I actually appreciate in this movie as much as I say I think that the special effects and especially the avalanche effects are awful. They got an actual speed skier and they shot him very well. I think that the sequences yeah. of him going down the hill they showed no, he is skilled. He is doing this properly. So kudos it, on that. It's the least they could do, right? Is yeah. to actually get a real skier to pull off some moves as a stuntman. I mean, you say the least they could do, but I could fully imagine going lower than that. I could fully <laughs> imagine them being like, hey, Carl, have you skied before? Get on camera. New World Pictures are B-movie, but I feel like the standard of a B-movie in 1978 versus the straight-to-streaming shit you get these days, mm. uh, was it was a lot higher back then. These days, it'd be yeah. like, oh, let's just green-screen everything. Let's just... We'll have I mean, a, just, a JPEG in the background. <laughs> I mean, you're right. And this movie also does that at some point. But, um, I mean, looking at the wiki page for this, it's got a $6.5 million budget, apparently. And then the box office was only $87,000. So. I can believe a $6 million budget for this. Yeah, that sounds right. I'm just more so shocked at the $87,000, which makes me think it was that thing where they like contractually put it in like two theaters and they were like, all right, send it over to the TV stations. We're done with it now. Mm. So it's interesting, these various characters. Uh, Shelby kind of, you know, doesn't take uh, Robert Thor- has to- Robert Forster's character's Nick, right? Just so I can mm. call him that. Nick's Nick got all these... Nick's got all these concerns about the mountain, and Shelby's like, no, 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 no. Like, I'm not trying to damage the environment. I want, I'm building this place so people can enjoy it and see it and, and really appreciate it. Like, I, I'm not doing anything dangerous. Don't stop. Because they do the thing where they've got, like, another expert there who's, like, the guy who actually does the safety checks, and he's like, no, it's fine. And mm-hmm. Nick's like, yeah, but if you actually went up and sat in this part of the mountain, it, it feels off. Like, something's different. Like, he can sense it in his blood. Something's the difference coming. between what your numbers say and what my heart feels (laughs) but ignore all the dangerous stuff for now because now we have uh the the party there's like a fancy dinner and gala Mm -hmm. uh with some uh flaming hot souffles or whatever they are i don't know what (laughs) Ah, it doesn't matter i don't know it's like 50 of them though yeah uh so everyone's dancing whatever but the big thing before this party kicks off though is that Robert Forster's character, Nick, runs into Caroline, right? Mm -hmm. So keep in mind, Shelby's invited Caroline here because he wants to try and get his marriage back together. But Nick runs into her when she's in the pool and they start talking about, I don't know, this place, blah, 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 whatever. Uh, But eventually, there's clearly a bit of chemistry and she's like, oh, you should come to the gala thing tonight. And he's like, Ah, uh, maybe, maybe I'll show up. And he does show up, right? That that leads mm-hmm. us into him showing up. And he comes over and asks her to dance. And I have to admit, one of the first big laughs I had of this movie was <laughs> Shelby, like, just staring with his mouth ajar, just been like, or agape, just been like, uh, he's dancing with my wife. Are they, yeah. are they a thing? Are they into each other? What's this? What's this now? I'm not happy about this. I actually got my first laugh, like, same exact sequence, but just before that, where... Uh, Mia Farrow says, oh, would you like to dance? Clearly talking to Robert Forster, but then Rock <laughs> Hudson's like, oh, yes, I... What? <laughs> oh, he's, him. He's, okay. he's so jealous that as soon as they sit down from dancing later in the scene, he grabs her arm again like a child who's in trouble and says, oh, mm. now we're going to dance. 
And she's yeah. like, no, I'm tired. I've, I've run out of breath. Said, no, no, we're dancing now, woman. And starts like dancing with her sort of aggressively. No, 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 no. We dance. You wish me husband. We dance. Beat the chest. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, again, it, this entire sequence just more so furthers the idea of, you know, he gets whatever he wants. He doesn't ever take no for an answer, which is creepy in its own right. But it, I don't think the movie ever goes irredeemable with it. He's always like, like at the end of this sequence, when she finally lays down the law and says like, no, the whole reason we broke up is because I was felt entrapped by you. I felt Which, like I couldn't be my own person. I'd like to add, we get to that point in the conversation because he straight up just starts asking, wait, you just met Nick today. Why are you dancing with Nick? Really? Mm -hmm. You're into Nick? Like, he gets really just upfront about his jealousy here, uh, which yeah. prompts the, the rest of the conversation. I, You know, it's, it's kind of silly. Some of it's a little bit funny. Um, I think you're right. They, they try and keep him as a flawed character who's still a good person, ultimately, because he wants mm. to help people when they're in trouble. And he's not trying to... You know, he's not quite the mayor in Jaws. They can't... Right. And I feel like if they went further with this, it may actually be an interesting character where, you know, he's adamant when he says, no, no, I'm not building this place because I want to ruin the nature. I'm building this place because I want people to enjoy this nature. I think it's amazing. And I want people to... Mm -hmm. You know, we're only taking a little bit of it away so we can build this place. But they never really go heavy into those themes and this idea of where the line's being crossed, you know. Whereas the mayor in Jaws, to, to draw the obvious comparison, is like, no, he just wants to make money and he's, he doesn't care about the safety right. of anyone. Uh, yeah, I think they could have gone a little bit further with this idea of exploiting the nature. Because, yeah, okay, you build one re ski resort. That's theoretically fine. You're not upsetting the balance of nature too much. But then they show that he's still building stuff, even like further yeah. up the mountain. He's got this ski lift going on. It does feel like even if he doesn't intend on ruining the nature, his own greed would just end up ruining it regardless. Yeah, yeah. There's probably more you could have done with those ideas and themes, but obviously this is not a movie that is concerned with themes. <laughs> what do you mean deeper messaging? Oh, our dear. deeper messaging is never get onto a two-seater plane. That's our deeper messaging. So Robert Forster tries to leave and Mia Farrow catches him and says, hey, can I go with you? So she goes back to his cabin. Uh, we don't even see a moment with a kiss or anything. We just see them hug. And then the next morning we see her wake up there. So yeah, they had sex. Again, again. fantastic line here. They're just standing. He gets her a beer. They just stand in front of the window as it's snowing out. And he just says, can I give you a big hug? And then they just hug. And yes, the implication is sex happens, but like, <laughs> it's the most platonic introduction to a sex scene I've ever seen in my life. Oh, yeah, I, I cannot tell you how little chemistry that any of these three people in this love triangle have with each other, right? Yeah. Which is fine for Rock Hudson and Robert Forster because it's not meant to be a, a complete three-way love triangle, but neither one of them have chemistry with Mia Farrow. <laughs> Well, no, I think it's still bad for Rock Hudson and uh, Robert Forster because it doesn't feel like they're really at odds either. Oh, like, that's yes, fair. They, yeah, I get what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, they argue with each other, but it doesn't feel like they have this deep-seated aggression towards each other. It just feels like, hey, this guy's a pain in my ass occasionally, but like I've only ever met him twice. Or even an awkwardness because they're kind of friends, but now there's this wedge between them, which is the other way you could go yeah. with it. But that's not there either, yeah. No, not at all. There is one sequence that we skipped over slightly, and it's the reason why Mia Farrow woke up alone. Uh, as he's finished talking to well Rock I wasn't Hudson, I wasn't done with the previous night yet because there's still other stuff to talk about with our characters that's uh, fine but, but this was like yeah. during the day yeah uh, as he's finished talking to Rock Hudson's character Robert Forster goes out into a truck and breaks open a box of explosives 
and steals like two RPGs that are used oh, to. Yeah, they set this up before the because he, he tells the safety guy, "Hey, fire a couple of things to like test the snow." Um, and I'm sure this is a done thing. I'm sure this was researched. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, part of me thought, is Robert Foster going to set off the avalanche by firing Same. these missiles? Because it feels like a dangerous thing to do. But I guess the way it is, it's, it's kind of like how like firefighters might start little fires to control the spread of a big fire. Mm-hmm. These little detonations are more about testing the snow in a safe... I assume he knows what he's doing, right? I'm assuming yeah. he's not just blindly firing into the mountain. But it Absolutely. felt dangerous to me when he's firing off... This is the next day he's firing off these rockets. Well, again, that's with the first avalanche that happened with the skier. I think this is the second time around where they're poking the audience and they say, hey, hey, we know. We know it's been 40 minutes. We know we haven't started the disaster <laughs> it's yet. Coming. Like, it's coming. Check this out. It looks like it's happening now. Because while they're all asleep in the night, there is like a, a snowstorm that blows off a bunch of the benches and stuff, which is the second thing saying, hey, things are ramping up. The tension's mm-hmm. getting up. Now there's a storm, you know, uh, but uh, yeah, we have to talk about the other characters though, because yes. at the gala, uh, skier man, right, blonde skier man, asked the figure skater lady to dance, right, and then Tina, the girlfriend, sitting there just looking miserable and just pretending to be okay, mm-hmm. right, and you know they're, they're dancing a bit and they're they're being a little flirtatious with like the, they're talking about skiing and techniques, but it sounds like a nuendo. They're like, oh yeah, you have to be quick to stay on top, or yeah, yeah. you have to. They're saying like, oh, how do you like to fall? Oh, I like to take it on my back. <laughs> it's like oh, okay, uh, all right. So a little bit later, we see blonde skier man with the figure skater and they're in his really fancy like room this place it's got like stairs and everything he's been given like a a, basically a whole house to himself to stay in at this this ski resort and yeah it's i don't know the actual like there's actually quite a long scene of them like undressing and and flirting more and they sort of crawl under the covers in a weird way where they're not just naked with each other because i thought it was i i genuinely thought they were trying to avoid nudity and then there's another topless scene like two minutes later so it didn't really matter but the Mm -hmm. way they kind of like both like the camera's looking down at the top half of the bed and we just see the lump of them two coming up through the covers and then they pick their poke their heads out the top the only explanation is they lifted up the covers from the foot of the bed, climbed up through it, yes, and then came out the top. That is the only explanation that makes sense here. And I just question why. Seventies man, they did <laughs> things differently. Why, 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 why? If you're going to have rough animal sex, just have rough animal sex. There's no need for this tomfoolery. PG, Pete. <laughs> Got to make this safe for cable TV. <laughs> right. But, that, but here's where it gets good, is we cut to Tina, the girlfriend, who's mm. on her way to this house area, right? Yeah, back to the lodge. And she's walking through these, bal- there's these balcony areas outside that go at these set of stairs, and then eventually up to the door that goes into this place. And what really got me is that she starts undressing as if she's about to go to him for sex, but she starts doing it while she's still outside in the balcony in the snow. Yeah. So she takes off like a scarf and like a jacket. And she just drops it in the balcony. I'm like, it's snowing. Why wouldn't you wait until you're inside to start undressing? This is weird. I think she's pretty clearly drunk at this point. I'll give her that. I think that, if you know, in her drunken mind, she's like, yeah, we're going to get it on. And she's like overestimating how far away the house is. She's like, yeah, you know, I'm right outside. Meanwhile, she's still got 50 feet to go. So she gets inside. She walks up the stairs, sees blonde skater man with the, the, the figure skater. Mm-hmm. And she screams and runs away out into the snow. And 
it cuts away pretty quick, but the implication certainly is that he just stays and has sex with the figure skater. Oh, yeah. No <laughs> doubt. Uh, when she's running away, we also get the ex-husband, the TV host guy, mm. tries to stop her and like comfort her, but she's like, no, let me go. I gotta go. And then she runs back inside. He grabs her scarf, and that is the last of their relationship yes. that will be explored in this movie. Doesn't matter. Does not matter yeah, at all. Does not matter. It, also... Sorry, just one thing I wanted to bring up here, because you keep on saying the figure skater girl. Yeah. Did you remember there was another figure skater girl? I did. And the only reason why I, I even remembered her is because when we first see her, when they're introducing the two figure skaters, she's mm -hmm. figure skating first. And I thought it was Mia Farrow because she looks so much like her. <laughs> yeah. No, I had the same thought. I'm like, oh, Mia Farrow is a professional figure skater. Wait a minute. This is a different character. Who is so, only yeah. going to skate once more in the movie, and otherwise that's it. She has nothing else to do. Yeah, so because this is a pro sports thing that's going on here, they have professional figure skating going on, and for some reason they have a whole subplot about how this blonde figure skater, not the one who sleeps with the skier, is like totally freaked out by this other figure skater because she's so confident that she can get inside the other one's head. And she is like falling over. And then she has her coach come in and be like, hey, when you're in the middle of your spin, you just leave the rest of the world behind. Don't even think about what's going on. I do wonder if like this and then like the Tina and the ex-husband stuff, I wonder if there was more of this stuff that was just cut. Like if they, they shot more stuff and then it was Maybe. cut out of the edit to get down to 90 minutes because they thought, let's make it brisk. Let's make it as brisk as we can because... I mean, if there was, I'd love to know what it was, because I, I have no idea how these plots could have gone. There is no, like, sometimes when they have to cut stuff, there's still a hint of it yeah. in the cut. You can still tell, like, they wanted to go in this direction, but I have no idea where any of these cut subplots yeah. would go. Also, these figure skaters, they're in, like, the ice, like, I say ice shrink, because they're actually in a frozen mountain, it's probably actually just, like, a, a little lake or yeah, something. Like a pond or something. Right. Yeah. Um, but when it first cut to her skiing, I thought, she must be freezing. She's wearing like like panties and a top. It's like a turtleneck yeah. and then panties. And I'm like, sure, surely, surely you should be wearing some like, you know, like an actual leotard over your legs here. Because at the very least, because you must be freezing. Anyway, as look, uh, it's the 70s, Pete. You can't we just say it's still... the 70s to everything I bring up. <laughs> I know I can't. But I <laughs> at that point specifically, though, I do feel like, especially in pro sports, there was a much bigger push to like, okay, guys can wear whatever they want. But girls, we need to see as much of their legs as humanly possible yeah. in every single sport. But anyway, next morning is what I really want to talk about with yes. this whole uh, skier and Tina uh Good plot. lord. You know, I'm happy this plot got as far as it did, and I'm so happy it stopped where it did as well, because it makes it all the funnier. <laughs> so, Skier Man comes down in the morning, right, and Tina's there, despite the fact that she caught him cheating on her, you know, the mm -hmm. previous night. She's made him breakfast, sausage and scrambled egg, and she's got, like, coffee and, like, maybe a drink of milk or something for him, and yep. he sits down, and she, she says, oh, did you sleep well? And then she says, oh, what would you rate her out of ten? And she's like, seven? Eight? And he's just not answering. Nine? Was she that good? And he's like, oh, I don't know who has it more or worse because jealousy is such a pin in the ass. And God, <laughs> the whole time she's holding this apple and he's just like, if you're going to throw that at me, just do it already. And she's like, it wouldn't hurt enough. And then when he says one of the other lines that he says, she picks up a knife and like threatens him with it. And then he, 
I could not believe his reaction. Well, this yeah. makes it. This makes a difference from threatening to cut yourself. And I'm like, wait a minute. How toxic is this relationship? That she, so bad. That she has been repeatedly jealous enough that she's been suicidal, and he's just nonchalantly sitting there going, "You're ruining my breakfast, you jealous bitch." Like that is the demeanor that he is yeah. responding to everything she says with, and she, she's flying off the handle. She should have left this guy ages ago, seemingly, mm-hmm. and he is just. Like, oh, I can't believe you're bothering me with your suicidal problems and your jealousy. Today's the day of my big race and you dare bring up my infidelities <laughs> now of all times? And if you told me that after she caught him cheating that he'd be the one to throw a drink in her face, right. I would have been like, what? But no, he does. She's threatening him with the knife and he, he splashes her in the face with whatever the drink is. And, milk. Yeah, and then grabs her by the arms and says that I can't even remember what he says when he grabs her. But I don't it, even think he says anything, does he? He just like like takes her down to the couch and holds her down. But he picks her up, he picks up her jacket, throws her out the door, he basically says it's over, go away. And she's distraught with, with grief. And she's literally saying, I love you, as he is pushing her out the door. It's like I, I, I thought the, the Mia Farrell being grabbed by the arm and kissed was like awkward. This this was like, oh no, this is just like, it's not abuse in the sense that he's been abusive towards her in, like, a direct way, but as far mm. as, like, mental abuse goes from being treated horribly, this is, like... It, yeah. Like, I mean, she clearly needs help. She, she needs someone to, like, give her some sense and tell her to get I away was, from him, because this is I so was, toxic. Before this plot, it was obvious that every subplot just terminates before it's done. I thought for sure it was going to come back around and say, oh no, she realizes how good she had it with the TV host guy. Mm. And then there's a point very soon after this where the TV host is doing an interview with the skier. And I thought he was going to call her out or call him out. I thought he was going to say like, well, it's your big moment. Do you want to tell us how much of a horrible douche you are? And like, just say that. But no, he plays it straight. He plays it professional. And it just feels like, Nothing in this scene ever comes back except for one shot, which is insane in its own right. Well, two shots, because when just before his race starts, two women come up and start talking to the blonde skier, and there is one yeah. shot of Tina seeing this and be like, oh, he's flirting with women again, and she storms off. So there's that right. one little moment. And then the, uh, the final moment, which we'll just talk about now, is when the avalanche is happening, she's in a room about to down a bottle of pills to kill herself because mm-hmm. he's done this to her. And dramatic irony is that she didn't need to because then the entire wall comes down with snow. <laughs> yeah, and uh, she is assumed dead. We never assumed see dead, her again. Yeah. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if there was a whole plot after this where she survived and maybe her ex-husband saved her or something to, to give it like a payoff, but nah. Nah, I mean, well, uh, we know what happened to the ex-husband later, so... Yes. Uh, so that, to that's be fair, her I just thing. want to point out, that was, that was the over-the-top silly death part one for me that's that was part one, one okay I, 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 I can see that yeah it's just it's the insanity of like not only is it just like oh she's taking a handful of pills like she dumps the whole bottle of a fresh thing of pills so she has at least 50 pills in her hand yes and she's she's looking to the glass of water and then not three seconds pass and the wall just crumbles down and we never see her again that's incredible to me that they would like it's so i don't want to say like mean-spirited but it's so like just disjointed in 
we're, we're going to sh we've shown all these other people dying in the avalanche before this we're going to show somebody on the verge of suicide who then gets crushed by an avalanche it feels like a bad like 13 year old edgy joke you know yeah because typically you'd want this character to survive and her arc from the by the end would be that she's realizing that she was you know a fool for wanting to die and now she's thankful she survived the tragedy you know she mm -hmm. came close to an actual death not by her own making and is now thankful to be alive like that could be the arc potentially that you might do in a movie like this instead yeah. she was going to go through with it and then died anyway seconds later so uh, yeah yeah, it, it, it's really weird. I mean, we're basically at the point to talk about the avalanche now, because everyone just goes off to do the things that they were doing in that morning, right? Yeah, so the, the big thing is that um, Robert Forrester goes and he starts firing off the cannon thing to cause little mini avalanches in order to stop the big one from happening. And then, meanwhile... Well, I don't think it's he... to stop it. I think it's just to test to see how the the fall is like to see how the yeah, mountain reacts it. to it i don't think it's just yeah. i don't think it would stop anything but yeah well i think maybe it might like lessen up the load of like how much weight is up top because oh, he does aim like right for the top of the mountain pretty much um but no the the other thing that happened much earlier on is robert forster pointed out that the sounds because obviously if you make a big enough boom or anything like that that's the kind of stuff that causes an avalanche the vibrations so we get this long thing of, A, all these big trucks and stuff trying to repair the benches and everything that was broken during the storm the night before. But then, B, we also get this uh, uh, snowmobile race throughout the area. We get the, all these cheering crowds, these loud uh, people. Like, it's just showing how much we're pushing the barrier more and more to yeah. there's going to be an avalanche during this scene. Yeah, the snowmobile race doesn't go very well, though. One of them crashes and tips over, so another another snowmobile crashes into that one. You say one of them. I'm pretty sure I counted, like, five people who do front flips over the front of their snowmobiles throughout this sequence. Only one was memorable to me. What can I say? That's fair, yeah. Because <laughs> the rest of them, nothing happens. There's no yeah. reason for them to flip. It's just all of a sudden they're like, whoop, I guess I hit the brake. So... The avalanche happens because there's a plane flying up and the storm at the top of the mountain... Which uh, was called in by Rock Hudson's character, by Shelby. Mm. Uh, he, he specifically needed some paperwork or a file or something to be flown in immediately. So he's just telling this guy, like, yeah, get a pilot who will fly in no matter how dangerous it is. Yeah, because there's and, a couple of lines when he's talking to his wife at the start, or his ex-wife, about how uh, there's some trouble because some of the people he submitting money to for their campaigns to approve this you know build up here in the mountain are now in trouble for corruption and he's not corrupt himself but he's connected to it so he's so that's what all the paperwork's about he's doing stuff to do with that yeah he's going to be investigated probably so he's yeah. just covering his bases i also want to say right before this plane hits they do the moment that i decided that there was no good editing in this movie like just period <laughs> and that is they intercut back and forth very rapidly between the airplane coasting through the mountains and the female figure skater, who the one who was all self-conscious about herself. And it's, I guess, supposed to show like some level of dichotomy of like, oh, this beautiful, peaceful dance and then this horrible thing that's happening. But like, it doesn't. And add on top of it, there's this orchestral music that's playing for the figure skating. And you'd think, oh, well, they could do a thing where they have the orchestral music playing over the whole thing. No, they just cut the music every time they cut to the plane. So you get music, plane sounds, music, plane sounds, 
music playing sounds about that fast throughout this whole scene. And it is so awfully edited, I can barely describe it. Yep. So that goes to the avalanche itself. There's a lot of shots of like sort of superimposed like clouds of snow over over things happening. It's so bad. It's so it's so like early green screen, but like they mm-hmm. didn't do it right. It's just not good. Uh so it's yeah, like the skier like gets chased down the mountain, he tries to keep speeding up to try and get away from it. He obviously eventually doesn't. He does eventually get buried in snow. But mm-hmm. that's their big set piece moment here is him skiing away from it. Uh, but of course, we get it hitting the the the, the pond where the skate the, the figure skating is happening, and the, the all the various little buildings, their windows caving in. Eventually, the big main ski resort where the where Rock Hudson's mother is having more. Yep. T- it's implied she's an alcoholic. We don't really get much of it, but she always wants a Bloody Mary, <laughs> and yeah. the, the windows all come flying in with the snow. She's with the accountant dude that works at the place dude i had no idea what that plot was supposed to be there's a thing where there's a bookkeeper he calls himself a bookkeeper bookkeeper, that's what it was yeah who is just following around the mom supposedly trying to keep her busy for some reason and by the end i don't i guess they have like a friendship or possibly more i don't know what the hell was going on with that one I don't think it was more than a friend. I mean, maybe maybe they were going for that. I didn't get that. I mean, the only thing that got me was at the very, very end, she gets loaded up into a uh, car, and he she says, like, oh, whatever, McDade, because that's his last name. And then he's like, no, 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 my real name is, like, my first name is whatever. He says, like, call me by my first name. And that's the only thing that gave me, like, was that supposed to be, like, more than friendship? I don't, I don't know. I feel like you're reaching with that one, but... I'm trying to give the movie a little bit of credit anywhere, <laughs> because it didn't deserve it. Uh, I mean, <laughs> uh, honestly, like the, the, all this stuff is pretty fast. The only thing I really want to talk about during the avalanche itself is the kitchen, hmm. because the kitchen yes. antics are amazing. Um, so yeah. the two things that stick out in my mind in the kitchen, all the people just flying back, is a, a waitress in the kitchen is sent sliding over the counter. So there's like a central counter in the middle of the kitchen, and she goes sliding down it when she gets hit with the wave of snow or whatever it is. Uh, a, there's there's a gas leak, which gets ignited by, like, a pilot oh, flame on the oven. I thought this was before that, but fair enough. Yeah, okay, fair mm. enough. If it's the gas leak moment, then, yeah. yeah. That, that, that goes boom. She goes flying down, sliding down this. I think it's during the avalanche, though, where one of the mm-hmm. chefs tumbles into a big hot boiling pot of yeah. soup. Yeah, uh, that's fair. So, so everyone else is freezing to death, and he's like burning and screaming. Like, ah! I mean, I get it because it's it's a thing that would happen. That makes sense. Yeah. But like, it's so over the top that it's just like, oh no, he tumbles into the pile or the giant pot of gumbo. Of course he does. He can't be crushed by the snow. He has to get third degree burns before he gets crushed by the snow. It'll be cooled down pretty quick, though. At least that's the that's yeah, the, true. <laughs> Um, so you want saving grace because the uh, mother is also stuck in the lodge apparently mcdade the bookkeeper guy smells the gas so when she goes to like light a cigarette he stops her and i guess this gas is causing them to like asphyxiate even after it catches fire like more of it's just pouring out because it very quickly their plot becomes even though they're in this big room, they start, like, falling asleep. They start running out of air. So, I, I theoretically, a, there's a gas leak. I think it's a combination of that and the fact that they're just closed in, I guess. So there's no... 
I get, it just seems like a huge area for you to burn through for what feels like maybe an hour. Yeah, I don't know. It, like, I'll, yeah, like Rock Hudson's main thing is like digging in to get to her. That's kind of mm -hmm. his main thing in this back back part. Saving them in this room where they're asphyxiating is one of the main things going on in this part of the movie. The other main yeah. thing going on is that just before the avalanche started, uh, th these parents and a kid are going up the ski lift, right? Mm. So the, the two parents get on a, on one chair themselves. The kid's not going to go, but then this stranger kneels down and no. says... Hey, it's TV host. No, I know it's a TV host, but to the kid he's a stranger. Oh, yeah, no, no one. Yeah. He should not be talking to this kid. Yeah, but he, he kneels down and says, hey, how about it, son? Do you want to come up? All right, and he gets on. And to be fair, there is a moment just as they're sitting in the chair where the parents turn around and say, "You sure you want to do this, honey?" And he's like, "Yeah." And so they seem they're, they're okay with it. They know what's happening. Mm -hmm. He's not just doing this behind their. I mean, he's literally behind their back, but <laughs> they know yeah. that he's taking the kid up with them. So that's fair enough. But the initial moment where he starts talking to him, it's like you're just asking a random kid to to go up with you. So. Yeah. They're on the ski lift when the avalanche happens, and the parents seemingly are just killed pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. But it, what it leaves for the, the aftermath is that him and this kid are dangling because the chair's sort of fallen off, and they're just sort of dangling from the cable. Mm -hmm. And that's a big set piece here, is that, okay, we have to deal with that. So there's a whole bit where a bunch of firefighters and rescue people come out with this sort of handheld trampoline to, oh, to catch... The, them falling right so they're holding it underneath them and the, the, the tv presenter is like okay listen son alan whatever your name is jason J jason 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 <laughs> jason x to jason uh jason like you you go first son like you go down and you be braved because I, I won't i won't have the courage unless i see you do it first you just t close your eyes and fall so the kid falls and we get a shot of him landing in the thing and like okay mm -hmm. kids all right and they're like okay now you, and, he's, and the TV presenter's pretty scared, but it just so happens that right at this is happening, the cable for the the, the the ski lift, right, which is electrified, it starts, like, a, a jolt of electricity goes through it. So he gets sparked, and he falls. Was it a spark? Sorry. I, th I thought it was just that the cable was, like, barely holding on because of the avalanche, and then it just finally gave way. No, because but... it, it cuts to, uh, like, some sparks at the end of it, so I assumed there was, like, a, a jolt of... Uh, power okay. going through it i mean either but way it's exactly the same result it doesn't matter yet the the point is is that he falls with the, before he means to and mm. even though it looks when it cuts between him and the trampoline it looks like he's falling straight down into it but then there's just a shot where he hits the snow instead and is dead <laughs> okay i have i feel awful because that entire time you're saying the scene i'm giggling like an idiot it's it's such a quick cut because like you said we do this whole slow motion fall and we see him landing in the trampoline like he is a foot away from it before we finally cut away to a shot where all of a sudden he's just like it's like a family guy sketch where he's just on the ground with a thud and he's just <laughs> not moving anymore it's so sudden and i i loved every second of it despite the fact it's the death of a character who wholly did not deserve it god it was funny it's good. I actually, yeah, I think between Tina trying to commit mm -hmm. suicide and then just getting the wall come down in snow, uh, this guy's death, and then I think the 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 waitress in the kitchen flying across the counter, yeah, is really funny. Uh, actually, and we've skipped over a scene here that I do really want to because we mentioned it earlier, but I want to talk about it. Is that after the avalanche hits, 
obviously oh, yeah. they call in the authorities, right? It's like, oh, okay, so whatever town's at the bottom of the mountain, we see the fire engines come out and the ambulances come out. And it stays with them as they're driving through the town, right? So they're not even up the mountain yet. They're still in the town. There's still stores and, you know, regular roads. They just pulled out of the fire station. Right. Yeah, they're, they're, they're just around normal civilization. This is where everyone's driving to and from work in the morning. Mm-hmm. And just randomly, off the back of one of the fire engines, this big box that says first aid just falls off the back of the truck. And I'm like, what's happening here? And then the ambulance that's driving behind them has to skid to to try and dodge it and they end up like going off the road they they skid which causes a police car behind them to skid even harder it's a chain reaction and then eventually there's a shot from inside like a store where a car comes through the window and like all the the front wall comes down and the reason why i'm mentioning this part specifically is because this was clearly a fake wall that was built so they could demolish it because it was so flimsy and thin and clearly oh, yeah. not the actual front of a store because the actual front of a building is thick. It's brick it's, it's or whatever, mm-hmm. you know? It's This was like plywood and like cheap shit just coming down. But what? why was all this? Why was there suddenly this little disaster in the road right out of the fire engine or the fire station? Like... It, they're not even going up the, the hills yet to get to the, yeah. the resort where, where you could say, oh, there's been a snowstorm, these roads are dangerous, they're icy. This is the roads and the main street of the town. The only thing that I could think that this would make sense with is if they really made a point of saying like, oh, it, nobody can get up to the resort because of the storm last night. It's a mm. thing where it's like, oh, you, you we're completely locked. It's just us. Rescue services won't be able to make it for like, a day at most where we're all we're the only things we got but because they do make it up there seemingly within like an hour of it happening there is no reason for this scene it just comes out of nowhere and i'm sorry you're talking about that flimsy storefront it went by so quick i didn't actually even notice it but like several of the window panes are falling out before the dude even hits the glass. <laughs> it's that flimsy. I think, and what gets me is like, even if you're saying, oh, the, the conditions are bad, but it doesn't start with a slide or a skid. It starts with this random box of stuff falling off yeah. the back of the truck, which just makes them look like a bunch of incompetent fools. Yeah, pretty much. And then it's weird because later on, the fact that um, with that trying to catch the TV host in the net thing, like they just miss it looks like they've got them like right on there and they still somehow missed this movie i think does a really bad job of trying to put rescue services as competent yeah i feel like they're kind of making them out to be complete idiots and what you just said before about how like you could easily do part of this movie part of the jeopardy could be yeah the services can't get up here to help they're on their own for a couple of days until they can clear the roads or whatever which, mm-hmm. again, puts more stakes on everyone trying to like, save everyone up in the mountain. But no, yeah. like you say, they just get there seemingly as quickly as they possibly could, and everything's fine. And mm-hmm. it's not until later that there's some, all of a sudden, some bad stuff on the roads on the way back that causes a new disaster, which <laughs> which we'll get to. So, yeah. Which I guess we're getting to anyway. So, so they rescue Rock Hudson's mum. She looks like she's mm-hmm. dying, but she ends up waking up and she's fine. Yeah, they 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 use some of the dynamite from the explosives crate in order to try to blow away some of the snow. When that runs out, they just start digging, and we get this sequence where she passes out, and McDade can't wake her. So then he starts digging from the other direction, 
they manage to meet up and it looks like she's dead but then like one shot later she's being loaded up in the back of an ambulance saying like oh she's she's weak but she's okay and then she pulls off the mask and says get me a bloody mary so she's fine yeah so and mia farrow gets in the ambulance with her to go with her to the hospital right fine mm-hmm. So they leave, and then maybe the trampoline thing happens next. I can't remember yeah, the order somewhere of events. Right there. But there's some we also stuff. Get, yeah, yeah, we also get the part where uh, Bruce the skier, he was trapped under the snow. They find him. I don't think he survives. No, he doesn't. They do this whole thing where you're seeing his face like un- un- under the snow, and they're sort of like putting these poles down to like test if there's anyone under the snow. And mm-hmm. you see it come by right in front of his face and then goes up. And then for some reason, someone tests the exact same place again because it happens a second time. Right. Uh, but then they find him and then they're just all upset that he's dead because he's frozen yeah. to death. And, and everyone's enough. like, no, Bruce. And like, they're genuinely sad about it. Like all these girls and stuff that are around, they're like, oh God, we can't believe he's dead. Which makes sense if there's a big athlete who dies yeah. in your area. I get you're sad. But from a what we've seen as an audience standpoint, it's so weird that he's the one that's getting the grief. It's it's kind of like that joke you get in some sitcoms and stuff when a ladies' man dies and then at the funeral there's just lots of babes like all crying because yeah. he's got all these ladies in his life. It's kind of that kind of vibe for it, which is kind of weird. Yeah. Um, but so, right. So some of this stuff happens after the ambulance is left with the mum in it and Mia Farrow in it, right? And then out of nowhere, one of the other vehicles comes back and Rock Hudson's like, why are you back up here? He's like, oh, there's something in the road. There's some snow's falling or some shit. They can't get through. And he's like, wait, did the ambulance with my mum get through? Cut to that ambulance on the road driving. And... (sighs) Yeah. No, go ahead, Pete. Describe exactly what happens here. I don't know if I can. The the car just... The ambulance skids and then... It just goes off the edge of the mountain. Mia Farrow luckily, or conveniently, gets thrown out of the vehicle as it's going over the edge. Mm-hmm. And the mum and the driver of the ambulance just go off the side in the vehicle until it lands in a pool at the bottom and then explodes. It's the explosion that really gets me because it's not instantaneous. Like, it falls, Mia Farrow's dangling from the edge of this bridge, and then, like, 10 seconds pass, and then giant fiery explosion. It... it- it felt like that scene in um, Groundhog Day where the cameraman steps up and be like, well, he could have survived that. And then it explodes. And he's like, oh, okay. Well, never mind. Do you, do you know what it is? Is that you were talking earlier how the, the, you know, Tina, who was going to commit suicide and then dies instantly, almost feels mean-spirited. This mum mm-hmm. character, we had the whole fake out where she it looks like she stops breathing, but then it turns out she's fine, right? They give her a little bit of CPR and she's fine and they put her in an ambulance only to just kill her suddenly minutes later and so we actually get the moment with rock hudson looking and thinking that his mum's dead twice we get it the first time when he thinks she's dead when they find her by digging through the snow and Mm -hmm. then here at the end he looks over like he does a whole thing where him and robert forster show up to save her because mia farrow's like dangling off the edge of the cliff right and they come up and like rock hudson climbs down next to her which i thought was stupid if you're going to drop a rope anyway why do you have to go down first that's weird but robert forster drops down a rope they climb up and then once they're up Rock Hudson looks over the edge, down at the car, that's sinking into this this little tar pit or whatever it is. And he's, he's got this look in his face, he's like, oh no, my mum's dead. And I'm like, we already had this! 15 yeah. minutes ago, you did the exact same look! I'm gonna tell you exactly how to fix this final scene. <laughs> I'm gonna, t- it's, it's so perfect that they're going to reshoot the movie just to have this ending. You have 
the mom die or be saved, doesn't matter, but regardless, she doesn't go in the ambulance. She dies or lives in the asphyxiation room. The person in the ambulance is Bruce. He survives. The skier survives. I'm glad you said the skier condition. because I, I yeah. did not know who Bruce was, but go, go on. Well, I, I only remember it because in the scene where Tina dies, she's wearing a shirt that just says Bruce across it. So that, that <laughs> stuck with me. Um, but no, Bruce survives, but he's in critical condition. He has to get into the ambulance. Meanwhile, simultaneously, both Robert Forster and Rock Hudson meet up with Mia Farrow and say, we need you to get out of here. It's not safe for you here. You're not like, we just want to make sure that you're going to be okay. And they send her in the ambulance to go down the mountain as well. That gets them both in the same car. It gives them reason for Mia Farrow to be in there. It then mm. makes it so that the Bruce death comes and it feels good because he's such an asshole. All of that lines up. That's how you fix this scene. But having it be the mother, like you said, it's just the same thing twice, but even more mean-spirited because not only does the car crash, it explodes. And that's basically the movie. There's like one scene after this where it's Mia Farrow going back to the resort after some time has passed, we don't know how much, and she comes in and Rock Hudson... Well, actually, she runs into Robert Forster first and basically mm -hmm. they just say goodbye so long. Like, we're not even going to pretend that we might have a relationship now. It's just, no, nah, no, nah, we're both going back to our lives. Ta-ta. I felt like I I had to rewatch this scene because I swear to God, they were having completely separate conversations with each other. He's just like, <laughs> oh, I like you just the way you are. And she's like, all right, take care of yourself. And he's like, he says like some other line that doesn't even follow up and take care of yourself. And then they just walk away. Yeah, it, it almost sounds like him saying, I like you just the way, the way you are, is for her to respond with, oh, Unlike my husband that I left for always wanting to control me, you're perfect for me because you want me to be me. But then she says, goodbye, I'll never see you again. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And then she goes in to speak to Rock Hudson, who's just looking at the wreckage of his dream and just being like, yeah, give me champagne. And that, that, that's it. And then well, she, she, she comes out and she's like, look, I love you. And he's like, yeah, I love you too. But then they both realize, like, yeah, but this is never going to work. Like... As much as we care about each other, we suck for each other. Is, so. is, is this wreckage a metaphor for their marriage? I mean, that feels yeah. like a bit generous to give it to that. But I mean, for me, the way I saw it is that the wreckage is directly linked to Rock Hudson's life completely falling apart. Not only did he sink all of his money into this, he didn't get his ex-wife back and his mom died. Like, everything is gone for him. His sexy secretary that he has sex with is probably dead as well that or she just is never going to come back here because she has deep link trauma that being said there is one point in here where when rock hudson first walks back to the lodge she interrupts him and basically gives the lowdown of like oh here's what's happening we don't know where your mom is da 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 and like i'm sorry to the actress not your best delivery it was like the most wooden thing of like oh i don't know what's going on if everything's just all messed up and Brock Hudson basically has to carry the role of being like, okay, well, how about you leave and I'll take care of the overacting here. Oh, did the secretary survive? I couldn't remember if she did. Yeah, she did. She or was. at least she she talked to Rock Hudson and then we never saw her again. So I assume she's fine. Ah, well, no payoff then. That's a shame. Uh, nah. <laughs> nothing gets a payoff. Not really. She specifically says, okay, I'll be waiting naked in the hot tub. Yeah, because I, I thought, okay, we're setting up like the Tina skier thing so that they can both have a conclusion to their story. But no, they both die kind of separately, just mm -hmm. suddenly. 
uh, yeah, I, the TV presenter thing it feels like it's got nothing to do with Tina. He's just got this weird random plot with a kid in the back yep. chunk. I think that's really the biggest thing is that every single person in that weird abusive love triangle with Tina and like the radio host and all that, all of them die. Every single one of them is almost immediately gone. Bruce is the only one who survives, the skier. But even then, he as soon as he's found, he's dead. So none yeah. of them have any furtherance to their stories. It's Mia, just completely dead. Mia Farrow was basically in no danger until the very end after a contrived new problem pops up. Which, mm-hmm. okay, technically, yes, the two men have to work together to go and save her. But it's such a, like a, just a tacked-on thing at the very end. It's, it's not like the entire like third act is like oh she's trapped somewhere and they're going to have to actually work together instead it's just this little thing at the end where she they have to go and save her but she i mean like i said all it took was someone throwing down a rope so it doesn't even need both of them like rock hudson just is unnecessary there he doesn't yeah. need to be there for me the biggest problem with the final scene is that it has nothing to do with the avalanche if this movie was called snowstorm or Icy roads? Yeah, no, that's fine. That's a fine ending for that movie, but that's not what it is. This is Avalanche. And as soon as they get off the ski lodge, that stops being a main focus anymore. Yep. So, so that's yeah, it. really good movie. Just solid the whole way through. It's more watchable than Cyclone. I'll yeah. give it that. Uh, there's some funny stuff in it, right? Unintentionally, so admittedly, but mm-hmm. there is some funny reactions and some over-the-top weird relationship drama that did give me a chuckle, and there's a couple of funny deaths slash injuries to enjoy. Yes. So I can see why it ended up in an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000. I can see why it had that appeal mm-hmm. uh, to, 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 to function as that. But yeah, as a movie, if you're just judging it, like, does it work as a regular movie? No, it doesn't. It feels pretty much every hurdle you could possibly throw at it pretty um, much i mean i'm trying to think of like i said i think the only thing that was decent and not great but decent was cinematography i think that the shots were composed well yeah and it i mean looked competent there that and it also has some real actors in it so it does still kind of feel like a real movie uh just with all these yeah. problems but i, I still think that again it might have been a direction thing and i know the script wasn't strong anyway but it just feels like nobody wanted to be there. It feels more like, oh, okay, I got cast in this movie. I guess I have to show up. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure this was just a gig for all mm-hmm. of them. This, this is not something any of them are passionate about. I, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Uh, this is just a, a cheap little disaster movie that we're doing before, you know, whatever. Because, you know, this is this is 10 years after Rosemary's Baby for Mia Farrow. I don't know if Robert Foster had done a bunch of big stuff before this. Like, I know him from some other things that came after this, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. And the director's will... no one to like mention, really. I, I looked up the director, and it said mm-hmm. known for Rebel Without a Cause. I'm like, he did that? And there's like, no, no, he was in that as a, like a small actor in that. Yeah, he, he... acted. Um, I'd say the big name, though, that's worth mentioning is the producer was Roger Corman. Yeah, and this feels like a Roger Corman production. I think that's fair. That, yeah. Hey, say what you are about Roger Corman, he knows how to stretch his money as far as it can go. And yeah. to be fair, I do think this movie, like, it feels like it's got more in it than a typical direct-to-video style. And it's not actually direct-to-video, but it, it kind of was mm. in a way, you know? Yeah. It was a formality that it went to a theatre first. Um, yeah. I think he gets more out of his budgets than other cheap movies typically do. 
I, I'll say that. I'll give him that. But yeah. it's not saying much. <laughs> it doesn't really affect how much I enjoy it in the end. So, yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I don't really have much more to add to that. I think that everything I said up front is pretty much everything that comes at it at the end. I will say, we, as much as we kind of glossed over it, because it's hard to describe exactly what it is, with the actual avalanche, it's such a haphazard mix of these horrible white-painted boulders, these like green-screened-in effects over top of the footage that just looks horrible, and then stock footage that is so grainy that you can immediately tell it's a different movie. Like the set piece feels like it was added in as an afterthought rather than the focus of the movie. And so yeah. after lunch. No. So ratings wise, <laughs> uh, uh, afterthought. No. Okay. You'll get there. Keep trying. There's something Just after there, we're done recording. There's a way of doing it. Anyway, yeah. Uh, ratings go on. Read it. Read it at ten. Um, I mean, I think that this one is a. I'm gonna say three point five. I think that. It is just a shoddily made movie. Like you said, it feels like it was stretched out. Like every little bit of money they had, they saved wherever they could. Um, it does still have good cinematography. It does still have real name actors. So that's going for it. The only thing that I think keeps it from dipping down to like a three or even lower than that is it gets to that point of it's just silly at times. It just feels like, oh, I'm not supposed to take this as a movie where I care about what happens to these people and I want to see them survive. I'm supposed to laugh at how crazy some of their misfortunes are. And once you go into it with that, it gives it a little bit more, but not enough to get it above like a five for sure. So 3.5 no. is where I'm at. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, it, it was kind of easy to watch in places because it was silly. Yeah, I mean, you're probably about right. I'm just deciding if I want to go a nudge lower or a nudge higher. And I, I honestly don't know. I don't feel strongly enough. Like, I'm not angry enough at it to be like, ah, it's like, I need to go really low with it. So, right. yeah, I'll, 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 I'll be slightly nicer and give it a four. All right. Pete likes this movie, everybody. That's, that's what he's saying. That's a stretch, but sure. Uh, I mean, to be fair, if you want to take a quote out of context, I think I ended the beginning section with, like, great movie, tons of laughs. Yes, yes. So, uh, yeah, but it's not a comedy, though. So, mm, <laughs> so it's the, in context, it does... It, it says what you need to know, I just, think, in context. Just, just pivot it the same way that The Room did. It starts out as a drama right as soon as we first watch it, and then you're like, oh, no, it was totally a dark comedy the whole time. Yeah, as for, you know, does it make the cut or not? Obviously not. I would say it's just a cut from the collection. I don't think I'm angry yeah. enough at it to say cut your losses or certainly not it cuts deep. Yeah, I think that if it were a bit more incompetent, you could make the argument of cut your losses, but it's still just decently enough there to be normal cut from the collection. Yeah, it's in that weird place. It's not bad enough to truly recommend it as a bad movie, but it's obviously not good enough to recommend as good no. either i would I, I would say i am interested in hearing the mst3k because i feel like they would have oh. some funny things to throw in here and i have not heard theirs before so oh, for sure that for might sure. be worth checking out so there you go that is uh avalanche uh we'll be back with one more 70s disaster movie we're wrapping up the season with earthquake next oh, week boy. so look forward to that 
And before we go, I will tell you about the bonus stuff you can get. If you want to support all the content and help keep it coming, you do get some bonus shows over at patreon.com slash TV. Uh, for me and David specifically, we do two bonus shows every month. There's some other bonus content as well, but the two bonus shows that we do, uh, we have the Criterion Cut, which is where we review movies from the Criterion Collection, so it's kind of the best of the best. And we have a monthly show called Extra Reels, where we review some of the worst movies of all time. Um, for example... No... Don't this, do the example, Pete. I don't want it. This month, no. Mac and Me oh, is the movie we are reviewing. So you can check out that. Plus, we've done some Neil Breen. We've done some some gems. We've done some disastrously painful movies to sit through. So mm-hmm. if that sounds like fun, uh, those are at different tiers over at the Patreon. So that is the show. Thank you very much for joining us, everyone. We do appreciate it keep watching movies and if you can get it it's always nice to have diplomatic immunity